Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. He was burned out, tells Reverend Sue Babb of Pastor Phillips Brooks. Brooks was known as the most dynamic and inspirational preacher of his time, but he had lost his fervor and could not seem to recover. In his mid-20s, he became the pastor of a prominent church in Philadelphia. He recruited what was known as a super salesman named Louis Redner to be his Sunday school superintendent and organist. The church began to explode. They started with about 30 children, and within a year, there were over 1,000 attending weekly services. The next two years, the numbers increased, partly because of Brooks' dynamic preaching and partly because of Redner's music. But then the Civil War came, and the mood in the church became somber. The national spirit was dying. Women were wearing black due to a husband or son being killed in battle. And darkness fell upon over every facet of the worship services. Brooks tried to be inspirational. And he tried to encourage his church. But it was draining him. And whenever the war ended... He thought the vitality and the joy of the church would return immediately, but it did not. Abraham Lincoln was assassinated, and the pain was intensified. Phillips was not the president's pastor, but because of his great speaking ability, he was asked to preach President Lincoln's funeral. He reached down deep and found the appropriate words to say for the moment. But later, he was so burned out that he could not rekindle his own spiritual flame. So Brooks asked the church for a sabbatical and took a trip to the Holy Land. And on Christmas Eve, 1865, in Jerusalem... He got on a horse and he went riding. And at dusk, when the stars began to appear, he rode into that tiny little village of Bethlehem. The town had changed little since the birth of Christ. And it lifted Brooks' spirits to be just a few feet away from the very spot that Jesus was born. There was singing in the Church of the Nativity. And he felt surrounded by the Spirit of God. And so Brooks wrote about his horseback journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem, where he assisted with the midnight service on Christmas Eve in 1865. And he said, I remember standing in the old church in in Bethlehem, close to the spot where Jesus was born. When the whole church was ringing hour after hour with splendid hymns of praise to God, 
how again and again it seemed as if I could hear voices I knew well telling each other of the wonderful night of the Savior's birth. It would be several years later that he wanted to put together something, a hymn that acknowledged his experience for the children in his Sunday school. And he asked his organist, Louis Redner, if he would compose a melody that would go along with the poem that he wrote to tell of his experience. Redner, a gifted church musician, a devoted religious educator, struggled with developing just the right melody. There were attempts and starts and stops and then finally, on the evening before Christmas Eve, Redner abruptly awoke from his sleep. He grabbed a pen and paper and he composed the melody. And the beloved Christmas carol, O little town of Bethlehem, came to life. And it was an immediate hit with children and adults. And I want to consider this Simple Christmas carol this morning, O little town of Bethlehem. That first stanza calls us to attention about this little place called Bethlehem. It says, How still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in the stark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. The hopes and fears of so many years end up in this little town of Bethlehem. And the Christmas story we know is set in the town of Bethlehem because that's where Jesus was born. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. You've probably heard this. You've never read it. You've heard Charlie Brown say it. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you in this city of David, everyone say the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you where you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Quite a moment, quite a moment to have in such a small little place. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. As we consider Bethlehem today, It is important to understand the significance of Bethlehem in the Bible. 
Bethlehem is put on the Jewish map because it was a place of both death and life. It was a place that found sorrow, but it was a place also that found a new birth and new life. In the Old Testament, we find the patriarchs, what we call the patriarchs or the founders of the Jewish people. We find Abraham and we find Isaac and we find Jacob. Abraham has a son named Isaac and Isaac has a son named Jacob. And Jacob has 11 sons by the time we find the first mention of this town called Bethlehem. Jacob His last son, his name was Joseph. And he had been sold into slavery without the knowledge of his dad. And it was hurtful, of course, to his father. It was devastating to him. And in Jacob's mind, Joseph was dead. But we find that Jacob has another son on the way with Rachel, his beloved wife, who had given birth to Joseph as well. And when it came time to give birth to this son, the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 35 that they journeyed from Bethel. And when when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Benoni, son of sorrow. But his father, Jacob, called him Benjamin, which meant son of my right hand. And the scripture tells us that Jacob or Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. This is the first mention of this town, and when we hear of it, it brings up a a, a moment of sorrow, a moment of sadness, but in it there's new life and there is hope. And that's what you find in Bethlehem. Years later, Bethlehem became the site of another story that as the time goes and as the story tells, it's a story of redemption. A man named Boaz becomes the kinsman redeemer of a woman named Ruth. Ruth's husband had died, and Ruth followed her mother-in-law to Judah, where Ruth was a foreigner and a stranger. However, she was noticed by a man named Boaz who decided to marry her and bring her back into the family. And so the scripture tells us in Ruth chapter 4 verse 9 that Boaz brought her to the elders and the witnesses and he basically tells them, I would like to marry her. And he says in verse number 10 that you are witnesses of of this today that I would like to marry her. In Ruth chapter 4 verse 11 it says all the people who were at the gate and the elder says we are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah the two who built the house of Israel and may you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Everyone say be famous. Be famous in Bethlehem. 
Here again, we find Bethlehem at a convergence. It was a place of sorrow in that Ruth had lost her husband and she arrives in Bethlehem, but it also becomes a place of new life and new hope. In Bethlehem, we hear again of Bethlehem years later after Boaz and Ruth were married. Bethlehem would again come into significance in Scripture. You see, Boaz and Ruth would have a son named Obed. And Obed would have a son whose name was Jesse. And Jesse would have a son whose name was David. And this son, David, too, would be born in Bethlehem. And it was in Bethlehem that David, this one who would use, be, be shepherding sheep in Bethlehem, this one would be anointed to be king of Israel by Samuel. Thus the promise that was made to Boaz and Ruth that Bethlehem would be famous comes into play. Because David, this little boy, this one who really wasn't that significant, comes from Bethlehem and he is anointed to be king in Bethlehem. And it's interesting to find that David had this affinity towards Bethlehem. Even when he became the great king, there was something about his life that he always tracked back to Bethlehem. And it was because it was in Bethlehem that he would feed his father's sheep. And he would learn in Bethlehem how to sing. And he would learn in Bethlehem how to write songs. And it was in Bethlehem that he learned to war. It was in Bethlehem that he learned to fight the lion and the bear. It was in Bethlehem that David learned to trust the Lord. And so it would be... That when David would return to Bethlehem from time to time, he would acknowledge what God had done for him. We find a time in scripture where David returns back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, 15. It said, but David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. On one occasion, David was running from the oppression and anger of King Saul, and he was hiding in a cave with three of his friends. And it's interesting, David says, oh, that someone would give me a drink of water, not just any drink of water. He said, but I want you to go back to Bethlehem. There's a well in Bethlehem, which is by the gate, and I want to drink that water. I want that water for myself. Does anybody have one of those places in your life? You have one of those places in your personal life that where you say, if only I could get back there and have some of this. I have a Canton is that place for me when Kristen is being mean to me and, and, and hating on me. I long for Canton. I'm like, if I could just get back to Canton and get some pizza oven pizza, everything, every, sorry, I got so excited, I grabbed my tie. Everything, everything would just be okay. Does anybody have that place, that hometown? Bethlehem was that to David. If I could just get back to Bethlehem, the water there, now, now, Jerusalem, they have some water, some other places I, I've tasted, but there's nothing like 
Bethlehem's water. When I used to drink Coke, I thought, you know, there's nothing, there's something about McDonald's Coca-Cola. You can drink Coca-Cola from anywhere else, but when you get it from McDonald's, the most amens I've got all day, McDonald's. But it's true. There's just some places, and that's what David said. The water just tastes like nothing else in Bethlehem. It was that place that brought new life to him. Bethlehem was meaningful to David, not because it was a prominent city. In fact, it wasn't. It wasn't that significant. It wasn't that big of a city. It didn't have a large population. It wasn't a place that had immense beauty to it and everybody was wanting to go to Bethlehem. It didn't have a a lot of trade and, and interaction going to it. No, it was a simple place. It was a humble place. And it was a perfect place. It was a perfect place. So much so that it would be prophesied in Micah chapter five. But you, Bethlehem, Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, though Bethlehem, you're kind of insignificant when you look across the landscape of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Out of this simple little town comes the ruler of the world, for ever and ever and ever. And so Matthew, when he would describe the story and he talks about the birth of Jesus in Matthew chapter 2, he says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and come to worship him. And of course, Herod the king was troubled by this and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. See, where were all the smart people? Where was all the intellectuals? Where were all the rich people? They weren't in Jerusalem, or they weren't in Bethlehem. They were in Jerusalem. And Herod, he gathers them together and saying, where is this king that's going to be born? Where is he going to be born? And so they said to him, he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. They hearken back to Micah chapter 5. In Matthew 2, verse 6, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so they went and they searched and found him in Bethlehem. In verse number 10, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. It was in Bethlehem. Where was everything pointing them to? It was pointing them to Bethlehem. And herein lies the truth of Bethlehem. 
And herein lies the truth of the coming of the Savior. The Savior doesn't arrive in a place of great fanfare and prominence. No, he comes into the world in Bethlehem, a village at the time of Jesus with no more than 150 people in population. This is not a bustling city. This is not a thriving town. This is a very simple and humble place, a place that represented the death of the beloved and new life of a child. It was the death of Rachel in Bethlehem, the death of a matriarch, but the new life of a promise, the son of my right hand. And this is the truth that I want us to understand, that this is still where Christ comes. He comes to Bethlehem. He still comes into our lives, not because we're great. He comes into our lives, not because we have something extraordinary to offer him. Not because we are powerful in and of ourselves, or we are wealthy, or we are smart, or we are popular. But no, the Savior of the world, let me tell you, he still wants to come. He still wants to be near, but he's not looking for fanfare and prominence. No, he still comes to the humble. He still comes to those who may seem ordinary to everyone else. Psalm chapter 34, 18 says, The Lord is near those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. David would say, For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble. He beautifies those who will humble themselves to God with salvation. Jesus still comes to Bethlehem, shows up in the ordinary moments. He shows up in the most insignificant places and times. And herein lies the truth that he desires. He desires to be near you. He desires to be in Bethlehem. Over the last several weeks during Growth University, we heard stories from individuals in our church. Amazing individuals who allowed the Savior of the world to come into their lives. And while these individuals today represent great things in God, What we saw in their lives was a God who was not near to them because they were perfect. A God who showed up in their life not because they had it all together. In fact, the opposite was true. No, he showed up in their brokenness. He showed up in their pain and in their difficulty. He showed up in their tragedy. He showed up in the middle of their doubt, and he showed up in the ordinary. He showed up in Bethlehem. Greg Meadows 
and Bill Gardner and Bertha Phoebus and Theron Lewis and Mickey Gardner all told us their story. And it didn't just include God showing up in great prominence. And once they figured it out and once they had all their their life together, then God showed up. No, God showed up in their weakest moments. When they had the most doubt, all of a sudden God began to show up and be near to them. And I want to tell somebody today, I don't know what you're looking for. I don't know what you're reaching for in God. But I'm telling you today, God still comes to Bethlehem. He still comes to the little places in our lives, the ordinary moments in our lives. And he comes with a promise. He comes not just in death. He can arrive there, but he brings new life. Shows up in ordinary places. Yeah, I am thankful for this service today. I'm thankful to know that God is in this place. But I want some of you to understand today that God actually is in a lot more ordinary times in your life than you realize. When you look at scripture and you start reading where God shows up in people's lives, it's not just at the temple. He does show up at the temple, but sometimes he shows up when people are working. They're plowing a field. They're harvesting something. They're working. They're doing something that they would ordinarily do. It was in the New Testament that Peter was hungry and he went up to take a nap to wait for the food to be ready. And it was in that ordinary moment that God shows up and gives him a vision about Cornelius. Just in the ordinary. It wasn't in a temple. It wasn't in a service. And that's what I want us to understand today. That the Savior of the world is not just going to show up here. But tomorrow, when you're working or you're traveling or you're going, guess what? God can show up in the middle of it. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. I want you to stand with me this morning. You see, Christmas, Christmas points us to the idea that God comes to dwell with men. Why do we put an emphasis on Christmas today? Because it's an absolutely beautiful idea that God, the creator of the world, would come to earth to be near us, to be in relationship to us. But it's Bethlehem. It's Bethlehem. That points to the idea that God dwells in the simple and the humble places of our lives. Bethlehem shows us God's promise isn't just for those who are prominent. It's not just for those who are gifted and extravagant. But Bethlehem shows us God's promise is for the least and it's for the ordinary. And so this morning... I wonder if you would trust a God who would be willing to come near you today. You say, well, I don't have it all figured out. I don't quite, I'll trust God when I start doing better in my life. I'll I'll put my faith in God. I'll, I'll be baptized once I know that I've got it all figured out and I can live for God.
That's not when God wants to show up. He wants to show up in the simple places of your life. And all he needs is you to say, God, I humble myself before you. It was those wise men who just came to Bethlehem and they worshiped a mighty God. They worshiped him and they gave him what they had. The Bible says they opened all their treasures. They gave him everything they had and it was in Bethlehem that their lives were changed. Today I'm believing for God to show up in your ordinary place. You and I are Bethlehem today. We, we don't bring anything great to the table. But guess what? The Savior still comes near. And I'm thankful for that today. I want to pray for you in closing. I want to pray that God's presence would be near to you today. I don't know what reason there might exist in your life where you feel like God is distant. But I'm telling you, he loves every single person in this room today. And he wants to draw near. God, I pray right now in this place. God, for every heart, every mind. God, I'm praying today that there would be this sense of your presence like never before. God, I don't know what some maybe have as a preconceived idea of what you are or what your presence is like or what you think of them. But Lord, you chose to show up in a place called Bethlehem, a place that was the least of all the cities, was hardly even known. It was a place of sorrow, but Lord, you made it a place of new life. God, take our hearts today, hearts that are sorrowful, hearts that are broken, and Lord, I pray you would breathe new life into them. Let your love shine great in this place. God, we surrender everything to you today. I wonder if somebody would just pray a prayer today from your voice. Maybe you feel comfortable lifting your hands and saying, God, I surrender all afresh today, anew today. Here I am, Lord. Draw near to me. Draw near to me in this place today. God, I surrender everything to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your, your mercy, Lord, that is evident. It's evident, Lord, in this room today because we're still here. God, you could have easily just done away with us, Lord, but we're here today because you're giving us an opportunity for you to be near us. Oh, God, we love you today. We honor you today. We worship you today. How excellent is your name in all the earth. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. While they're just playing that music softly, I wonder if you would just acknowledge the Lord. Go ahead and worship him. Imagine yourself bringing gifts to him and saying, God, I surrender my life to you. God, here is what I have. I don't have much, but I give it to you today. I offer my heart to you today. I offer my life to you today. Come, be near me today, Lord. Be near me today, Lord. Be near me today, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah. His presence is in this room right now. Oh, God, you're coming near to us today.
God, let us feel, let us feel your unconditional love. God, you're giving us worth today. You're giving us value today. Oh, hallelujah. 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 How excellent is your name. I praise you, oh God. I praise you, oh God. I praise you, oh God. You are wonderful, Lord. You are wonderful, Lord. You are wonderful, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Pastor Brooks once said, It is while you are patiently toiling at the little task of life that the meaning and shape of the great whole of life dawns on you. As you are patiently toiling at the little task of life, that the meaning and shape of the great whole of life dawns on you. That God can show up in the smallest of moments. He can show up and he will show up in the smallest of moments. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.